What a blessed time of worship. It's so good to draw near to him. Amen. What a blessing. I'm so glad to see you and to uh, join with you as we worship and then also as we open the word of God. We have been in a series in Nehemiah, really Ezra and Nehemiah, since last fall, as we have uh, built around the, this theme, building back boulder, this time of rebuilding, this remarkable time in history. And last weekend, we studied and saw how Ezra and Nehemiah, they led the people of Israel to this dramatic moment of victory. It was just incredible. Um, and really, this begins what we call the second what we call the second temple period. Uh, the temple of Jesus is finally constructed. Uh, there you can see it. I, I can't see anything on the back screen, but that's okay. I can look up here. Um, the, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah had this amazing moment where finally uh, all of the, uh, the walls and the gates have been built. Everything has been established. Everything's in place. Uh, and then they've reestablished the centrality of the word. The temple's built and the word is now central once again. Um, Nehemiah had completed all, all of those walls in 52 days, this amazing, miraculous feat. It's taken 93 years of effort and waiting to get to this day. And they have this amazing moment where they, they read the word of God. They just can't get enough of it. They stand and they listen for hours to the reading of God's word. And we saw this movement that happens of word into worship and then joy. And it's this incredible kind of synergy as the word of God engages the people. And then they join, they're drawn into worship, and then they experience the joy of the Lord. Uh, and after that, uh, they, they, were, they were really kind of grieved because they begin to feel the conviction of the Spirit. And the leaders say, no, we're, we're not going to grieve right now. Uh, we want you to celebrate. Go out and have a big barbecue, really. They have this big feast. And then they, they realize the next day as they study, uh, we've been missing something. And it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And so for seven days, they have feasting and they have this tabernacle. They live in tabernacles. It's a kind of thanksgiving to say, we're so grateful that we, we're not living in the desert anymore. So this amazing time comes together. And, uh, and then what happens next is really uh, nothing short of what I call a faith quake. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 is just a pivotal moment really in, in the Bible uh, and, and it talks about revival. That's what we're going to be studying and learning about tonight. We sometimes talk about the need for revival. People say, we really need revival. And I think sometimes what they really mean is, I wish people would behave better. <laughs> and if we had revival, you know, maybe people would behave better. And, and that's not really what, I mean, that may come, but that's not really what revival is about. That's not really what, what the Bible is talking about. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 9. I'm just going to read six verses. And so it's a short reading. It's a long chapter. And I'm going to go through some of the things in the chapter in a few minutes. But it's this moment where they finally uh, begin to have confession. They begin to have uh, a move of the Lord, this powerful uh, move of the Lord among them. And we want to hear exactly what is going on here. So uh, we're on page uh, 404 in uh, the edition of the Bible. It's out there. If you don't own a Bible, take one home with you and change that today. You need a Bible in your hand and in your home and in your heart. So we're Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning verse 1. 
I love that so many times it begins with now. It's a very now kind of book, uh, Nehemiah. Now. On the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Yeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shenanai. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Yeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, and Hashabneah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pathahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all the host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Now let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for moments of worship and moments of praise. Moments when our hearts are joined with the hearts of those long ago to lift your praise. And God, we pray that as we engage this scripture that we might be gripped by the very same things that were gripping those people long ago. Thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So all of this chapter, it takes place two days after the Feast of Booths have been completed, also called Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Sukkot. And before, you remember that the people have been told, don't grieve, <laughs> They were starting to really get gripped with some grief. And the leader said, no, don't grieve. Uh, Almost as if to say, that's going to come. But right now, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is a a moment that's powerful and unique. The joy of the Lord is among us. You know, sometimes we we sense that the Spirit of God has come into a place. You know, we we talk about it sometimes. We say sometimes there's a spirit. a spirit, a sense of healing in this place. And so we'll just, we'll just say, we're just going to stop and we're going to pray uh, for healing in this place. And th- there's a spirit of joy that can come into a place. And, and now there's a spirit of confession that is coming upon this place. So the chapter opens with grieving and with fasting, sackcloth and dust. And we don't know exactly the nature of the dust. It, it sounds like ashes. And so we see a time of revival and recommitment that happens in chapter 9. 
There are several chapter 9s that are like this. And, and one is in Ezra, one's in Nehemiah, one's in Daniel, where suddenly there's revival that starts to happen. So, so what, is, what is it when we talk about revival? What does that mean? The dictionary is a good place to at least look. And in the dictionary, we find this definition that revival is restoration to life, uh, consciousness, vigor, and strength. Now, that's sort of the physical de- uh, definition. So uh, it's, a, it's a sort of a reawakening, but a physical reawakening. But also, and if you look in the dictionary, it's down about number five. (laughs) They just kind of push it down there. It's the first thing we think of uh, is the spiritual understanding and awakening in a a church or community uh, of interest in and care for matters relating to personal religion or spirituality. That's how the dictionary, I don't think they really get it, but that's how they define it. But we're going to look into it uh, this weekend. Revival is when believers find their faith reawakened. And I thought, I almost found myself chuckling this week because the, the word these days is woke. And, you know, when that first started coming out, I thought my mother, the English teacher, would just say, what are you talking about? You know? and what does it mean to be woke? Well, it means to be awakened. It means to be awakened to the things of the, you know, in the world and injustice and things like this. Well, really, we, reawakening is biblical, and it began a long, long time ago. And uh, this isn't the only uh, reawakening that we find, uh, but this is a really big one. It's a real primary one. Uh, there have been a number of them during, uh, during uh, his, historic times, uh, this reawakening. And one is what we call the Great Awakening, 1734 uh, through 1743. So what's that? It's about uh, six, seven, eight, nine years long. what we call the Great Awakening. And this was uh, the time of John and Charles Wesley. And of course, that's the foundation of a number of movements, Methodism and the Nazarene movements, Uh, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, they're all from different streams. But it's like God all of a sudden said, I'm going to do something. I don't care what, uh, what denomination you're part of. I'm going to do something. And that, that was what we call Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards uh, was, was prominent in this, and he wrote in 1734, he described it this way, and I love this description. He said, it pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy. It's his work, his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time. Listen to this, turning them from a full cold and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. It's an amazing description. And really, you'll find that some elements of that anytime somebody writes about revival, they'll they'll use this in some way. And that's what was going on in Jerusalem. This is a revival that's going on. The Ezra-Nehemiah revival was a reawakening of faith in Yahweh, Yahweh God. And it was an authentic commitment, recommitment to him. It was a move of God. And it was specifically among the Israelites. Uh, We saw in verse 2 that they they separated themselves from uh, the foreigners. Uh, This wasn't bring a friend day. This was leave your friends away day. God's doing something right here. Because he needs to deal with us. We're his people. And before we can do anything for anybody else, God's got to do something right here among his people. 
And so uh, there was a separation from those who, who had never really had faith. You know, you can't revive something that was never there. That's one of the things. Now, evangelism is different. And so this seven-day gathering of great joy in chapter 7 is now followed by this period of penitence, of, of confession. And it was after this great feast, and they had this now this period of fasting. And it's interesting, none of the leaders called for a fast. Nobody said, well, the Lord has said that there shall be... No, they just began fasting. And I thought about that some. I've had that happen in my life before. I had somebody say, do you want something to eat? And I've realized, no, I'm fasting. Did you declare a fast? No, but I'm fasting because God, something God's doing in my life, I just can't eat right now. I'm praying a lot and I'm fasting. Sometimes God does that. He'll declare the fast and it'll, it'll happen in your life. You don't have appetite for anything but God. And that seems to be what was happening here. They wore sackcloth, which is... It's like gunny sacks and stuff like that, or, or feed sacks. And, and they put dust on their heads as a sign of grief over their sins. It says they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, those are two different words. It's two different things. But they were, they were confessing their sins, and we don't want to miss that. Uh, the Hebrew word here is kata'ah, and it, it means offenses, sinfulness, uh, but specific sins. It's like, well... We all right now, if I just said, do you have a sin to confess? If you think about it for a second, you probably do. I mean, it's something where you, you, I need to confess that. I need to confess that before the Lord. But then they also confess this thing called iniquities. Avon is the word. Say that with me. Avon. And iniquities, the, the first definition is it means perversity or moral evil or fault. But the root word, and I've taught this with you before, it means a crook or a crookedness, and it's used to describe a bent staff, like a shepherd's staff, is a crook. It's the same word. And it's used to describe a tree that is bent by the wind. It has a bend. Because of the wind, it's bent in a certain direction. It reminds me of that phrase uh, in the hymn that Charles Wesley wrote, take away our bent toward sinning. And, and, you know, it's one thing to say, God, I messed up, so forgive me for my sin. Well, okay, but what are you going to do now? So the next thing is take away my bent towards sinning. The tendency I have, and I know I have, to go towards sinning. It's sin nature. Take that away. Heal that. And that happens uh, in awakening, in revival. People are delivered from that. They, they come and they say, I've had this bent toward this immorality, or I've had this bent toward drugs or alcohol or whatever. And they say, it's gone. That bent toward sinning is gone. And so that, that's part of what happens uh, in, in a reawakening or in a revival. The order of the day. I mean, they didn't have an order of worship that they printed or anything, but three things happen in the scripture that we see. They listen to the reading of the word, again, for a quarter of a day. And then they made confession for a quarter of the day, and then they worshiped the Lord their God. So all of that are the elements of what was happening there. What did it look like? It's amazing. If you read on through, I'm going I'm to hit some high points. But if you read on through, it looked so much like the walk through the Bible seminar. I'm not making a gratuitous ad. I promise you. Uh, in the walk through the Bible seminar, we hit all the high points of the God events. 
And so as we go through the confession, I'm just going to hit a few pieces of it. They recounted with thanksgiving every God event since the calling of Abram. They start going through that. And that's their confession. Now, they've already confessed their sins, but they're confessing before God his goodness and his faithfulness. They remembered the faithfulness of God to his people. And they also recounted the the failures of the people uh, on the journey. And all of that is is part of, of the journey. And when you come to the Walk Through the Bible seminar, it's only six weeks away, and I hope you'll get registered right away. What they do is they go through, you know, every event and there's all these great things God does and then the failures of the people and then how God responds and then the failures of the people again. And that's what happens here as they're going along through here. And so they're remembering the faithfulness of God. If we just looked at it, sort of the pieces of it, look how good you have been, God. On the next slide. Look how good you have been, God. And, and now look how your people have messed up and look how faithful you have continued to be. I don't know if you can, it's a little bit small up there. Can you read that with me out loud? Look how good you have been, God. And look how your people have messed up and look how faithful you have continued to be. And so these are the remembrances. It begins with the remembrances and they're marvelous as uh, As Nehemiah continues on, uh, in verse 7, he says, You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. It goes all the way back uh, to Genesis chapter 12. And gave him the name Abraham, gave him the breath of God. And then, uh, in a couple verses later, And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, it's jumping ahead, uh, and heard the cry of the Red Sea heard their cry at the Red Sea, you came down at Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. So you have, wow, you did these good things and we messed up. And then comes this marvelous, marvelous uh, verse But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Let's read that out loud together. It's so good. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. It's such a confession of God's goodness. See, here, here, don't miss this. Confession is not about wallowing in your failures. The, the devil would love for you to do that. Just sit there in the muck. Confession is about dwelling in his mercy and declaring his mercy. That's what confession is. Yes, we need to confess. I agree with you. That was wrong. I confess that before you. I'm not going to sit here, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dwell in the goodness and the mercy that lifts me out of that mess. Verse 20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. What a good God he is. You know, it reminds me of that phrase we often say, he is good, and we respond all the time. And that's not something somebody just thought up somewhere else. It's all through the Bible. It's all through this chapter. Uh, the Bible invented that. He is good. 
all the time. Yeah. And yet the people continued to fail. You know, we see that. You gave them kingdoms and, and you gave them peoples and, and, and allotted them every corner. You gave them this land. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and to possess you. You gave and gave and gave. And yet the people continued to fail and God continued to be faithful. Aren't you glad for that? That's such good news. You say, sometimes we say, oh, oh, God could never, you know, he can never work with me because I failed so much. Oh, don't underestimate him. His mercy and his grace, his goodness is so marvelous. Verse 26, nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets. Many years you bore with them, many years, and warned them by your spirit through your prophets Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Now, this is talking about the exile. It's what happened before this restoration, before this rebuilding. It's the exile to Babylon and the dispersion of the 10 northern tribes. They're scattered. They're out of the land. And then in verse 31 is this word, nevertheless. In fact, I love that word, don't you? (laughs) Nevertheless. In your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. You didn't forsake them for you are gracious, a gracious and merciful God. You did this whole amazing thing to bring us back and to rebuild this place and to rebuild the temple and to dwell among us. It's an incredible thing. And then at the end of this chapter, Nehemiah uh, records a prayer of confession and recommitment. Now, Nehemiah is writing this. I'm thinking this is Nehemiah's prayer, Uh, but here it is. I I just think it's so powerful for us to, to hear and to think about. This is the prayer. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day, since that time of the, of the dispersion. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully. We have acted wickedly. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers, to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They they still had kings over them. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So so the leaders actually signed and sealed a covenant in writing to follow the ways of God. It's an amazing moment. It's a way of them saying, you know, you are so awesome, God. You are so awesome. Because of our failures, we're, we're not where we should be. But we're coming back. We're coming back because of your faithfulness. And we make a firm commitment and covenant with you. And that's what revival looks like 
in Ezra and Nehemiah. So what, is, what does revival look like today? There's been a lot of talk about it. I mean, there have been uh, national uh, stories in, in the national news. I don't think they really understand it, but they know something's happening. And there have been uh, articles about the revival in Wilmore, Kentucky. You know, about two weeks, the, kid, the kids wouldn't go back to their dorms. They wouldn't go back. They wouldn't go away. Students were there, and they were praying, and they were praising. They were confessing. They were, they were blessing. They were praying for healing. And then, uh, then in uh, Samford University and Lee University, and now I, I, I just looked, and I see that now at Texas A&M, uh, Indiana Wesleyan University, LSU, Baylor, there are these outbreaks of, of awakening that are happening on those campuses. A lot of times it is uh, among that generation. Uh, there's a the new movie out called Jesus Revolution. And uh, it's amazing because it recounts the Jesus movement awakening uh, that was 1968 to 1972. Um, now, you might say, well, I don't, that didn't impact me. It did. I'll tell you why, because I'm not sure I would be standing here preaching if it weren't for the Jesus movement, 1971, 1972, 1973, that swept into Florida, into Orlando, Florida, and we had coffee houses, and we had this awakening that happened among people, and that's, I accepted Jesus in a coffee house. And so, you know, there's an impact, a rolling impact. It's an amazing movie. We're going to actually announce that we're going to study it for a Dinners for Aid. It's a exciting thing to come together with people and talk about it. Uh, But we often look for behavioral signs. What's a revival look like? Uh, Well, there's a lot of weeping and emotion, we think, you know, or or people are overcome by the Spirit. They may fall down or something like that. Extended uh, gatherings where people don't go away. They don't go home. Sometimes on Saturday nights, you all are like that. You just won't go home. You hang around. (laughs) Just enjoying the fellowship. But miraculous occurrences happen, stunning confessions that no one expected, and dramatic testimony. Um, There's no one definition of what revival looks like. I I like how John Piper describes it, and he describes it this way. He says, revival is a sovereign work of God. That's the same thing that Jonathan Edwards said, in which the whole region of many churches, many Christians— has been lifted out of spiritual indifference and worldliness into conviction of sin, earnest desires for more of Christ and his word, boldness in witness, purity of life, lots of conversions, joyful worship, a renewed commitment to missions. That's a good, concise kind of description if you, if you read and study a little bit about revival, um, there are marks of revival that are often uh, identified. I want to share with you seven marks of revival. It's, it won't take a long time, but, um, but many settle into a list something like this, and it'll be a little bit different. But these are seven things that, are, that you will recognize that will be part of revival. And the first is faithful preaching of God's word is always part of it. Um, there's not one way to preach the Bible but there's one quality that must not be compromised, and that's faithfulness to the word itself. It's one of the biggest deals these days because there's so much unfaithfulness to the word uh, in, in, in the church, you know, what we call the church. So there, there needs to be a return to a faithfulness. We won't see revival in a church or a nation with a diluted 
or compromised word. Uh, sound preaching does not soft pedal sin or sidestep iniquity, those things that were, they were talking about. I remember years ago when I was a teenager, when I was part of the Jesus movement, uh, I heard this saying, I don't even know who first said it, but I wrote it in the front of my Bible, uh, and, it, and it said, true repentance abhors gentle names for sin. We have these little gentle names, and there's a bunch of them right now. We have these little psychological names for what the Bible calls sin. And sound preaching is not going to be like that. Sound preaching is not going to be self-serving or profit-centered. Second is persistent prayer. I mean, every great revival has been born in prayer. Prayer is what plows the ground and readies the heart for for the fire that is to come. Uh, J. Edwin Orr is a historian of revival, and he wrote, No great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. Christians persistently praying for revival. Prayer. And there are people who have been praying in our church for quite some time for revival, for renewal, for awakening. Acts chapter 1. I mean, that's how it all began. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary and the, Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The third is unity in the body. The enemy is winning as long as there's disunity in the body of Christ. Now, there's a genuine body of Christ. There's some that call themselves body of Christ. So that's not what I'm talking about. But Jesus prayed. He prayed for. He prayed for. One of his last prayers. John 17, 21. That they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Now, that's one. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's what they need to believe. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, I therefore, a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Boy, we, we need to do that. Bear, one another, bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The fourth thing is earnest seeking. Uh, Psalm 85, 6 says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice? And you read that out loud. It's, it's, a, it's a plea before God. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Evans Roberts, uh, whose ministry triggered the great Welsh revival of 1904 and 1905, he often prayed this prayer. And it's an amazing prayer. He prayed, bend me, O God. Bend me, O God. We are open to whatever it takes for God to be totally in control of our lives. That's a big prayer. That's a big prayer. Because there's a lot of bending that that may have to take place. Widespread repentance is another mark. Um, Many of you have heard about the Asbury College and Asbury Seminary Revival of 1971. It had a big effect on me because later I knew a lot of the pastors that that were awakened in that revival. But after that great revival, it's the Wilmore uh, connection. 
Many students began to come into the bookstore and return things that they had taken without paying. This is one of the premier Christian colleges of the country. Uh, Women couldn't wear pants until after 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You couldn't hold hands on campus. I mean, all these rules. It was a Christian campus, and people sent their kids there. And, and they, all of a sudden, thing, people were coming in and saying, I, I took these pencils. I, t- I took this book. I need to pay for it. And that, that's a sign of repentance. It's a powerful sign. People were getting things right with God. And it's because preaching against sin contributes to, to this revival, to this, this renewal. The sixth is unusual phenomena. Now, we don't know, we, we don't want to try to stir up something unusual, but the revivals that happened with the Wesleys, John and Charles Wesley and Jonathan Edwards, they, they had people falling down sometimes um, and sometimes violent reactions under the deep conviction of sin. Uh, I, I, years ago, I mean, I, I've been in a, a room where people started to fall down from the front to the back, and I said, I am not falling down. Well, don't tell God that because he'll put you on your back, you know. I don't, I don't know all of why that happens, but there's something powerful that happens. And, you know, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, um, he wrote in his journal. It's, it's one of the interesting things. He was discouraged as he wrote, and he said, only a few fell down in the service today. And, and I just was amazed by that, you know, the, the roots there. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we have to fall down or we need to fall down or something like that. It doesn't mean that we, we try to, to orchestrate that. But we must be open to God's surprising works. The, th- the things that are different than usual. The things that may, may uh, surprise us, even shock us a bit. The seventh is effective evangelism. Revival is really about awakening Christians. You, you revive what was once there. But as a result, there's a powerful witness, and people begin to come to Jesus. They say, you're real now. I used to look at you, and it wasn't real. And now it's real, and I want it. And uh, if you have a chance to see the movie Jesus Revolution, you'll see that. You'll see that thing that happens uh, in that community uh, as a church is uh, challenged with the idea that hippies are going to come in and sit with them. And it's, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, from that era. Are, are, we gonna, are we really about the gospel? Are we really about welcoming people in? And then seeing people's lives changed dramatically. There's usually this awakening that happens. Unbelievers, they see the power of God at work. And then there are large numbers that are saved. So how does revival begin? Uh, there's not a way that, you know, you can't schedule revival. I always think it's funny when we say, well, we're having our revival starting August the 1st. Um, it's, it's God's prerogative. Um, but a prayer born out of earnest seeking is the thing, is the, is the precursor. Uh, in, uh, in the notes that you have in the app, you'll see that there, there are a number of situations, uh, uh, several, just too many for me to go over, where it was tremendous prayer that laid the foundation. Every time, tremendous prayer, you know, that laid the foundation uh, you know, one, one of them is uh, two elderly ladies in their 80s began to pray earnestly for a revival. And then seven young men began to pray. And this great revival broke out in Scotland. You know, it, amazing. We're, we're like 100,000 people were saved. So we need to pray. We need to pray. 
Um, back to Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, years before the revival of Ezra and Nehemiah in chapter 9, uh, the prophet Isaiah had these uh, words uh, for, for the people. Uh, Isaiah 62, you who put the Lord in remembrance, talking about to the people, you, you have remembered before the Lord, and that's what, that's what happens in chapter 9. Take no rest and give him no rest. How's that? That's persistent prayer. Take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. That, and that, that's the events that we see in Nehemiah chapter 9. And that's my thought, it, it is for us to take no rest and give no rest to God until he sends revival to our land, to our people, to our families. So the, the question of the weekend is, do you want revival? Do you really want revival? Because a lot of times we can just get really comfortable. And revival shakes things up. But we need to pray for Revival. I've, I've asked Jared to, to come and play, and he's going to play just a little bit. I want to just, just have a time of prayer. You might stay right where you are, but uh, you, just to pray for revival. And you may want to come forward and pray here, and pray, pray here at the front or at one of the altar rails. And, and it may be a time of confession where you just need to say, God, I've been away from you in, in ways that I'm now convicted of, and I need, to, I need to lift that to you. Forgive me of my sin. And forgive me of the iniquities, my bent towards sinning. Heal that in Jesus' name. Will you pray? I invite you to come. us, oh God, for we are open to whatever it takes for God to be totally in control of our lives. Father God, our nation so desperately needs you. We pray that you would awaken, reawaken, renew, restore, flood into places of darkness with light bring salvation, bring hope. We thank you for that. We thank you for your faithfulness, just as you were faithful to those long ago, those God events in which when we mess up, you are always faithful. We are so grateful. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. started planning last fall to have the walk through the Bible seminar here. 
we thought it would be good for the people of Faith Fellowship. This would just be a good thing for all, for all of us. Give us this overview of the Old and the New Testament. It would be so powerful. It would be a lot of fun. But the closer we get to it, the more God has put on my heart that it is going to be an outreach. I never really thought about that. I thought it was for just those of us that are here already. But I keep thinking now, the more we get closer and closer to it, there's got to be somebody that doesn't already have a church, that doesn't already attend a church, that you could share this opportunity with. So we want to watch another video presentation of Walk Through the Bible so that you'll grasp what valuable um, tool it can be for us to grow in our faith but also for us to reach people in our world and to bring them in. I think many people don't read the Bible because culturally it's so different that it's confusing. They don't have a context to understand. What if we could create an event that could make the Bible come alive in a fun and creative way that would inspire people to read it every day? When I heard about this at church, I said I have to go because I need clarity. Everything started to make more sense to me. It's helping me to understand more. People have stories of the Bible, but they don't know how they're connected to a timeline, to a bigger story God's trying to reveal to his people. To be able to connect these stories is huge. A seminar like this is really great at weaving together the larger narrative for God's story. People can locate how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. Seeing how God's creation story moves leading up to Christ himself is very powerful. I've always looked at the Bible and it seems so complicated. I can't really read that language. I don't phonetically truly understand. And when it's done like this, it comes to life. The hand signs really resonate. It helps you to realize what's going on and what really happened. It puts things into perspective. As you're moving, you're remembering. Kinesthetic learning is a lot better than just auditory or even visual learning. So using that movement actually seals the concepts that you're trying to get across. It makes it connect the body to the mind and makes you remember even more. My favorite was the King's song, No Heart, King David, Whole Heart, and King Solomon, Half Heart. I like that. I liked them all. The fall, the flood, love Samson, yes. Probably Passover because that's so significant. Creation. (laughs) That's everything to me. very relevant for people at all stages of their walk with God. I think it works for all ages. One of the most powerful things is to look out in a crowd and see them practicing the motions, telling the story to each other, celebrating together, and they're doing it from such different generations. we teach OT Live and NT Live, we see people walk away with such a passion. They don't just go home and and say, well, that was nice. They go home and they read. And pastors tell us about how their churches have changed through having this type of event. The hope is that they're going to engage in scripture in a different way, that they have a bigger picture. It's one thing to understand this story, but to be able to then go forth and tell that story is a whole new level. I could share with a non-believer an overall picture of the Bible and how it all fits together. I wasn't as familiar with the Old Testament as I am now, so I was happy about learning. I think I'm going to dig into the Old Testament more and learn more. Definitely can see that it's one full story that God has written. 
he captured the Old Testament in three hours that went fast. It's awesome. It's fun. My husband and I were both really impressed. After seeing what I saw today, I am so inspired, so encouraged to go in and dig deeper into my Bible. I really didn't expect to come out with the knowledge of what I have now, of the whole Bible. It literally was a walk through the Bible. you can get registered this weekend and two more weekends and get the early bird price. Register for your dinner if you want, or I should say lunch boxes if you would like. And think about who you can invite to come and be a part of this special day seminar. We also want to remind you, little kids are going to have a great experience with Miss Christie, and they're going to be studying the amazing book with all kinds of learning stations, activities, crafts, video presentations. The children are going to have a great time as well. Uh, we appreciate so much the bringing of tithes and offerings. And so we have these different ways that you can do that, including uh, the receptacles out in the lobby. Uh, we want to invite Pastor Paul to come up and share with you about the insert, if you can find it in your bulletin there. Uh, we're going to be having a spring season Easter uh, effort. So what we're asking is, we've just been in this great study just talking about just how, just Ezra and, Ezra and Nehemiah, how they just, when they saw the condition of the temple and where they, they just... They had a heart for it, and that's just what we want to play off of, is just that we have a heart for the place where we come to worship. And you'll read in the, in the insert that we have, there just comes a cost of ownership. There comes a cost of maintain, maintenance. There comes a cost to renew. And so we want to partner together, all of us, and I'd like to just between now and Easter for you to start praying. There's not a, a giving card yet. There's not, you know, nothing. It's just I want you to start praying about how you can partner together with us so that we can take care of those costs, the cost of ownership, the cost of maintenance, the cost of just renewing and refreshing what we have here. Because God has blessed us with an amazing campus that you just hear, you know, hear of people that would just love to have a campus like this where, and just the activities that go on, it's just we look at our calendars, and it stays busy, and just ministry happens here, but we have to care for it. We have to maintain it. We have to renew it. And so between now and Easter, if there's a way you could pray about it, there's an offering that you could give at Easter, a special offering to just help us with those covering those costs. But then also for the next 12 months, we would like to just focus on is there an offering monthly or if you want to do it one time, however you would like to do it, to give above and beyond what you're currently giving to just help us defray those costs so that we're not making decisions about whether we can run these copies or whether we can turn the lights on. And financially, we're, we're sound. But there, there are those decisions that come from time to time as, as, can we order this little bit of extra things because of this, the overall cost? And we're just trying to ease that burden so that those, those decisions aren't as, as tough to make because we, we're operating and we're renewing and refreshing. Because if you walk around this property, there's things that need to be maintained. There's things that need to be renewed and refreshed. And we just want to do it at a faster pace than we able, are able to right now. 
Amen. Thank you, Paul. Let's stand as we get ready to go. It's such a blessing to be in God's house and in his spirit and among his people. Let us go in the name of Jesus to do whatever it takes uh, that God would bend us in whatever way so that we might be ready for what he has. In Jesus' name, amen.